and welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Wow, oh, that sounds uh, dangerous. All right, hey, I'm Randy. I'm allegedly Mike. Oh, allegedly. You're still, uh... I'm fending off claims. I see. All right, well, with allegedly Mike, uh, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to our podcast, and uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about some fun stuff today. We're going to keep it a little secret, just keep that tension going for a little bit, because we want to... Talk about uh, how much fun we had in the last podcast. Uh, we like really doing movie nights, and doing the Arthurian one was a lot of fun because we got to watch some movies that we hadn't seen in a while. And yeah, to, to rewatch some films that like we saw them uh, on television uh, during like oddball afternoons or evenings when there just wasn't a lot else uh, available uh, in the era of broadcast television. You know, we caught these as kids. And you know what? They had an influence. They had an impact on us. Uh, we enjoyed them in an almost outsized fashion, uh, no matter what their little flaws were, because there were so few other things like them. And because of that, they are beloved classics to us. We love reprising and reviewing and looking back at these. So we hope you enjoy that we share them with you. And of course, we're not trying to be authoritative, like, oh, our experiences have to be absolutely yours. Everybody's going to have some different stuff. And speaking of different stuff, Jason called in and he has some views to share with us. I guess he kind of gave a blow-by-blow live cast of listening to our podcast as it, as it was occurring so it's going to be yeah. in parts here so he had the the opener you know an examination midway through and then the closer and it was really like you could tell like he was just going phase by phase through the podcast that was actually really cool yeah so uh take it away jason okay just starting your podcast i'm glad that you're not going to cover first night as excellent because that is a truly horrendous movie and i will now listen to what you have to say about excalibur the greatest fantasy film ever made maybe not the greatest sword and sorcery but no doubt the greatest fantasy film ever made and to me the best arthurian film ever made um although i am a little sad you're not covering the most recent arthurian film done by um uh, what's his name the um lock stock and two barrels guy the, the one that did the Sherlock Holmes stuff, too. That, that guy. Anyway, um, I will let you go and go and listen to the show. Hopefully I haven't set my expectations too high. Well, you guys did a good job on Excalibur. Thank you for not making me feel bad for liking it. As far as first night, you did mention it. So two demerits to your podcast. I checked out with that movie with, well, let's see. I saw it in the theaters. I haven't seen it since. And didn't they have pistol crossbows or something like that? Pistol crossbows or crossbows on their arms or some kind of crazy anachronism. It just threw me right out of the movie. So, yeah, first night, not good. As far as the movie you did not mention, I will mention one piece of trivia. I know you guys know this, but I bet you your younger listeners, this surprises a lot of people. That movie you did not mention actually came out before Excalibur. A lot of people think that movie is in reaction to Excalibur, lampooning it, but actually Excalibur came out after the movie that shall not be mentioned. Okay, back to listening to the episode. Okay, guys, now I'm finished the episode, and although it would have been fun to have one of the stinkers for the third movie, I understand why he didn't, and I think overall I'm pretty darn pleased with the episode. But, you know, there are some really great stinkers out there. 
and even other ones that aren't maybe not stinkers, but are just fun to talk about that do their own thing. I mentioned Guy Ritchie's King Arthur Legend of the Sword earlier, but what about George Romero's entry into the King Arthur mythos? Yes, George Romero, a Night of the Living Dead fame, and his Night Riders from 1981 with Ed Harris and Tom Savini, where they're riding around on motorcycles. Come on, you can't tell me you didn't enjoy that. Anyhow, I, I enjoyed the show. I look forward to your next one. You guys take it easy. And maybe in a future movie episode, you can do the same thing for Robin Hood. All right. Thanks a lot, Jason. Um, yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, Excalibur is like the, you know, the GOAT, the G-O-A-T, okay, of, of that Yeah, genre. We, I caught that on HBO. You know, that was... Or, or was it the Cinemax? I, don't, I can't remember which one. Of the Arthurian movie category, I mean, it has the least marks against it as in like an Arthurian mythos movie, uh, classic sword and sorcery. It is the best of the bunch. It is the one that like committed the fewest sins in our our eyes, which, you know, honestly, I if I did it my way, like if I made an Arthurian mythos movie, I don't think anybody would watch it because it would totally be set in that Bronze Age era, uh, you know, of like ancient Welsh. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like that King Arthur movie. Yeah. See that. Uh, and, and then, you know, sticking as close to the mythos as possible, I don't think it would excite people the way, you know, the, the more modernized, more, you know, altered, more... Uh, they may be structurally corrupted, but they're entertaining, okay? They're, they're better yeah. made than what I would It's kind of like Sword of the Valiant. Now, watching Miles O'Keefe prance around in a wig, you know, that's entertaining in and of itself, but, you know, the movie still took itself... It didn't take itself too seriously. There were moments of levity and humor, but yet there was some type of... I don't know. Dude, there was a little gravitas there. And oh, yeah. Great actors. Uh, you know, it, it was a worthy movie, and I was very excited to find out that they just made a new version of The Green Knight, and I didn't know that when we did the last podcast. Yes. I oh. found it, like, two days after the podcast, and I was like, oh, I wish I could have... You know, mentioned that during the show. Yeah. Well, so here's our chance. We miss a lot of things, but you would expect no less from them. <laughs> expect no less from the unscrupulous potion mongers of gaming podcasts. Oh, sure, the label says inv invisibility, but it doesn't mention the little side effects like, you know, terrific flatulence. Yep, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, all right, so you didn't draw a weapon, but the bugbears still knew you were coming. Oh. <laughs> Pardon me. Yeah, we give you value, but not necessarily quality. That's right. So thanks a lot, Jason, for calling in. All right, so we've kept you on pins and needles long enough. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Magic the Gathering. And for some of the folks here that listen to our podcast, this can be a little bit of a teeth-clenching moment. But hey, uh, we're going to take you on a little trip, Roto. We're taking you out of the Shire. We're going to take you into Mordor. But we're going to bring you back. Yeah. So this is uh, about the... And the eagles are coming. Yeah, I know, it's hot and miserable and sweaty, but you know, like the eagles are on the way. Just, you know, stick with us. <laughs> we'll get you through this one, because I think it's worth noting, despite whatever you think about collectible card games, um, this is one, if you're a fan of D&D, that I think that you need to pay attention to. And I'm not saying this lightly. 
that this is a card set that, you know, uh, I know that Wizards, of course, owns both the Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering, and they've already delved into combining the two, putting your peanut butter with your chocolate, if you get that reference. <laughs> Jeez, we're dated. Um, yeah, yeah, we are. We are, but yeah, if you if you get that reference, then you know where we're coming from on this one. It's, yeah, they made Ravnica a role-playing setting, which I think of all the, the ones that they've done, the settings that they published for Magic the Gathering, or at least come out for the card game, that one is, deserves the most. Look yes. at. And I, I think uh, going back to uh, the pre-apocalypse era for those Magic the Gathering geeks out there, the Weatherlight series also reminded me a little bit of a D&D type party aboard a ship tasked with traveling the airways and vistas of their, what is the world called? I'm sorry, I forgot. Well, there's multiple. What, what was the one with Urza and all that, uh, the, the main magic? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Useless trivia? Yeah, you know, but uh, you know, to the, some the point people, is they they created different settings, and some of them had a much more traditional D and D gameplay, you know, resemblance uh, in in their mythology, and others were a little more fantastic and science fiction ish. Uh, I, but here we find a brand new release that uh, once again is a fusion of the two realms: the sword and sorcery of Dungeons and Dragons, very specifically and the gameplay of Magic the Gathering, uh, which uh, you were adept to point out, Ravnica, which the release of the Ravnica kind of campaign setting, I thought it was a great idea, because this is one where, rather than radically altering the nature of Dungeons and Dragons uh, to accommodate the inclusion of Magic the Gathering type gameplay, uh, what they had done was take the mythology and location and the setting and characters and story and plot that were tucked away in the background of a uh, Magic the Gathering set or series of sets and build a Dungeons and Dragons framework uh, to play Dungeons and Dragons in that setting and to work with those characters, with those guilds, with those unusual spells. Uh, so it was magic coming down off its horse to, you know, uh, infuse Dungeons and Dragons without actually changing the nature of its gameplay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had a, a very strong positive reaction to that. And now here we see the opposite. And in my opinion, done well. well the exact opposite being the arrival of the uh, Magic the Othering Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Ah, okay, yeah, so give it a name. And what name shall it have? And it is Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, so this one combines a lot of the dungeon delving class building, even if you really get down to it, the min-maxing, with several of the cards, like you encounter two goblins. What do you do? <laughs> and, you know, kill them. Okay, you get this. Uh, there are cards that represent dungeons, oh, there cards it is. that represent encounters. Uh, yeah, you see a pair of goblins. It's an instant. Uh, one red mana, two colorless, and it says choose one. Charge them. Creatures you control get plus two, plus zero to end of turn. Befriend them. Create two one one red goblin creature tokens. 
I have the shot, shall I take it? Varus, the Silvery Moon Ranger. And yeah, this is indicative of a lot of things that you would find in your typical role-playing game table conversation. You see a pair of goblins, what do you do? You come to an old camp. <laughs> you find some prisoners. And you find, Mike's favorite, a cursed idol. <laughs> one green and one colorless gets you this sorcery. And you choose one. Smash it. Destroy a target artifact. Loop the curse. Destroy target enchantment. Steal its eyes. Create a treasure token and venture into the dungeon. Enter the first room and advance to the dungeon. Yeah, and that's it. They have dungeons like Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Lost Mine of Hendelver, and... Uh, they have uh, land cards that are based, <laughs> fascinatingly... Uh, on like old module covers. Yes, this was one of the uh, facets that I found the most enjoyable, both visually and, you know, uh, artistically. Uh, instead of your simple Evolving Wilds card, which nobody really likes an Evolving Wilds card. I mean, they're, they're useful in a limited sense, but they're not a very popular concept. Uh, it, here, you know, they have listed it as Dungeon Module C7, Evolving Wilds, an adventure for characters level 1 through 4. Land. Sacrifice Evolving Wilds. Search your library for a basic land card. Put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Ah, okay, it's a much more interesting visual spin on the traditional card. Uh, but other lands, uh, such as Dungeon Module R12, Den of the Bugbear. Uh, <laughs> a land that if you control two or more other lands, Den of the Bugbear enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, you may tap it for one red mana, or spend three colorless mana and a red mana. Until the end of the turn, Den of the Bugbear becomes a 3-2 red goblin creature with whenever this creature attacks, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. It's still a land. Uh, <laughs> well, or, right, or Hive of the Eye Tyrant, which is you know similar in the respect, except that it makes a 3-3 black beholder card. Um, a fascinating dynamic on using classic D&D imagery and concepts uh, to have specialized land guards uh, as, you know, like dungeon modules. And what is fun is that as Dungeon Dragons enthusiasts as we are, who have played Magic before, it it's clever, it's innovative, and it's something different than we've ever seen from Magic before, ever before. Yeah, you've seen equipment, equipping cards and enchantments and things like that, and certain land cards that have various effects according to the lore that they're trying to put forth in that yeah, particular set. Yeah, the Throne of Eldraine series uh, did some very similar mechanics uh, uh, just a couple of years ago, I believe. And while it was an enjoyable series, uh, it didn't have the close relationship to Dungeons and Dragons. It was more, you know, aimed at uh, homaging classic mythology worldwide. You know, that or especially that Grimm's fairy tales atmosphere uh, of like, you know, the mythologies that we remember from fairy tales as children. Okay, that was cute. This has taken the proximity to gaming much, much further, and totally homages all the great tropes. Uh, you know, for artifacts that can be equipped uh, or played. The classic 50 feet of rope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and check for traps as a uh, black sorcery. Yeah. 
And plus two mace as just an artifact. Yeah, and plus they have classes as, rather than planeswalkers in this one. So if you're familiar with that new mechanic. Some some of our listeners may not have been keeping up with the latest one. but Yeah, they totally uh, created like enchantments uh, subtype class that, uh, you know, treat a character class as a enchantment altering an entire scope of gameplay uh, <laughs> and they level up okay they level up uh, by so, going through dungeons and performing various things yeah and this allows you to access higher and higher level powers as gameplay continues now obviously magic you know having a comparatively limited time span uh, if you have focused your deck on quickly advancing a rank of usage in a particular class card, uh, then you may get some use out of this. Uh, But in wider play, in say for instance, you know, commander and other type uh, scenarios, you know, like these cards are wildly inappropriate. This is more of a closed system. Mm. Enjoy the storytelling, the gaming tropes, Uh, you know, play it in a little sealed bubble you know like tonight we're playing adventures in the forgotten realms uh, and use only the cards from that set for that Uh, in that respect this is a superb release Uh, now in the more competitive traditional like closed realm of empty you know mtg for victory or death no that is not what this set has been aimed at that is not what it's there for so i i don't have what i think would be unreasonable expectations yeah you'll see a lot of the creatures you're familiar with and the nice thing is is some of the monsters are done in that kind of retro um, black and white illustration although with a kind of a sepia wash yeah the sepia tone uh now these were some of the showcase cards uh and to examine them i mean they are standard creature casts uh, in each of the five familiar colors of Magic the Gathering. Uh, one of them, just for example, the the Knoll Hunter. Uh, you know, it's just a creature with uh, the you know two two uh, attack and defense. And whenever Knoll Hunter attacks, if you attacked with creatures with total power six or greater, this combat. Put a plus one plus one counter on Noel Hunter. Okay, they're not particularly unusual, but the showcase editions are reminiscent of classical uh, bestiary guides like the mm-hmm. Monster Manual. Um, and of course, these are also creatures that will be familiar to everyone in gaming. Uh, the Purple Worm, uh, the Dire Wolf, uh, or more Wing specifically. Dogs. Oh, yeah, the classic Blink Dog. Uh, white creature. Costs two colorless mana and one white. Uh, and with double strike and teleport, spend three colorless man- mana and one white mana. And the Blink Dog faces out. So, yeah, it has basically... What Beware the Mimic, though. Oh, the Mimic, yeah. It's a blue card. but well. So, it's really kind of cool that they have this... Uh, kind of retro thing going on and of course it's got all the mechanics that you would expect of magic with some clever stuff but rather than being like the hyper competitive commander decks which 
hey, I understand is all the rage among the, the kids today. I, with this said, I wouldn't feel like that Steve Buscemi meme. Like, hello, my dudes. How are you doing, my fellow kids? I am bringing a magic deck. And, you know, <laughs> blow the dust off of it. I, I had, I, last time I collected was with Ravnica. I really liked, um, that said, I felt it was very evocative, and I like the dual color. I like dual stuff. And uh, yeah, the original City of Guilds uh, edition, Ravnica City of Guilds, uh, had a wonderful, you know, uh, the system of the competing guilds, right? Uh, each with rather unique color combos specific to their houses. Uh, and I honestly think that because of that setup. Uh, you know, they made the right choice in picking which setting to fuse with. It did seem like a, a very interesting role-playing world, it, or at least it had the possibility for it. And I think that's what they went for. But here we're in the reverse. I mean, literally, the tail is wagging the dog, and the serpent has gone full circle. Yeah, the, the Ouroboros it has devoured its tail. And you don't know which side is is working what now with this set. I mean, I'm literally at a crossroads where when I first started kind of playing magic and looked at it until I met Mr. Briefcase I was thinking like this would be a great uh, way to kind of perform uh, a kind of D&D type story exactly you know yeah. with creatures encountered and what you could uh, throw at people with themes and ideas and yet you were playing it uh, competitively rather than you know at a cooperative which is a very, very different spin. Uh, you know, the, the end point of Magic the Gathering is to defeat your particular opponent. Uh, and that is not normally the case for Dungeons and Dragons. Right. So you would think, you know, my first impulse would be to say that these are two radically different styles of gameplay that do not mesh well. Both the Ravnica campaign setting and this release have been part of me being proven wrong that you know there is room for a you know harmonious melding of these concepts uh, that respects both leaves them both intact in other respects but has a place in the middle where they can meet and i'm i'm continually surprised by that uh, i honestly did not expect any fusion effort to be this good. I, I thought that it would be far less appealing. Uh, and it feels like, to a great degree, they have gone out of their way to ensure that there is suitable homage. Uh, yeah, they had Tiamat in there, and I also seen uh, there's a Dritz Dwarden, Brunor Battlehammer. Oh, yeah, uh, I should mention that they have included many legendary characters. Uh, that are familiar to those who have played in the Forgotten Realms, including Xanathar. Oh, yeah. The, the you know, Beholder Crime Boss, Mr. Bigley. Yeah. <laughs> Operating out there on the west coast of Faerun, running all the underhanded options. Yeah, Xanathar. Not a nice guy. <laughs> Thieves Guild run by a Beholder. Yeah. Just think about that. Just... You know, take a while and absorb that. You know, high. When I first level. read about it in the old days, I was like, I was like, how would a whole? Wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Oh man, this could get dark real fast. 
Oh yeah, he's got minions aplenty, layers and layers to go through before you get to the actual boss. Uh, working in seclusion below the earth, uh, sending forth his minions to do his bidding, building his like web of shadowy power and influence. And char his charm monster eye. Yeah. Oh yeah, he has good goons. So, yeah, Forgotten Realms, uh, it's a good pick for them, obviously. Uh, maybe they'll do some other campaign worlds in the future, you know, if this works out well. Um, I, I hope that it does well. And I know that there's already some from the hoary bearded elders of the D&D &D fandom community that poo-poo this sort of thing. And, hey, that's fine. Magic's not your thing. I know that uh, for a while there was actually a lot of hostility towards Magic the Gathering when Wizards first took over TSR. They thought they would turn it into some kind of marketing brand for Magic cards. And, well, here we are. Finally, they've done it. Um, I gotta hand it to them. They did it tastefully instead of destructively. Right. They, like, my fear... I don't want to give too much credit to the hoary-bearded worrywarts of uh, the mm. internet, okay? I don't want to give them too much credit. But I have to confess, if I'm going to be super candid and incredibly honest about where I stand, like, I don't want to be disingenuous during the podcast. I don't want to stay... I don't ever want to say stuff that I don't mean. Right. So, to be honest, I shared a lot of those same concerns. I felt the same way. And my chief concern was that would an effort be made to isolate these experiments in a way that allowed uh, the game to retain its independence uh, and the card game to retain its independence and then a third option appears where there's a fusion uh, the worst fear was that that would not be done and that it would be well you're going to have to have them both like as one thing like instead of like three options you have one we have made card game, uh, you know, D&D, &D, and that is the only thing that you can get now. <laughs> uh, now, that would have been a horrible, horrible thing for all of their business. You know, it would have critically damaged D&D, uh, &D, and it would have critically damaged Magic the Gathering. They obviously did not do that. They went the smart route. They have, you know, the more familiar CCG Magic the Gathering. The and peanut it's butter. Yeah, and its competitive aspects still intact with its commander decks and other uh, more familiar uh, types of releases. And then over here, off in the distance, you have your traditional Dungeons and Dragons. Your with, chocolate. Yeah, with your modules and your characters and your dice. And then, now, here we have new in the middle, both the Ravnica campaign setting and of course Adventures in the Forgotten Realms and that's your uh, <laughs> uh, brand trademark peanut butter chocolate uh, product that is really delicious okay I, yeah I was, you might not this. have thought it went together and here we have you know a role a magic setting that went to a role-playing game and now the role-playing game translated into magic and so I think that yeah, it took a few years, but they finally did it, and they did it well. And it also is, I think, a lot of a nod to the popularity of Dungeon Dragons in these days. It, they have a flump. Wait, Mike is pawing some yes. cards here. They have a flump card. Well, yes, the flump. Well, bless my soul. 
Let's see here. <clears throat> Creature, jellyfish, defender, of course. Flying. Uh, whenever Flump is dealt damage, you and the target opponent each draw a card. Well, that's not so bad. It's a zero-four creature, all right. Flumps siphon thoughts and energy from evil aberrations and are often eager to share the dark knowledge they obtain with friendly adventurers. Aw, I know. The Flump is still, like, you know, the beloved, kindly creature of, you know, like, the, the lone nice guy in the Fiend of Folio, which totally uh, earned its name. I mean, it is Aww. the Folio I just want I want to hug him, except that they sting you, so it's like stinging a Portuguese man of war. You'll really regret it. No. Oh, they even have Asmodeus. Well, the original pit fiend, huh? Yeah. Numero uno, Asmodeus. Destroyer of man. Huh. But amongst the legendary cards they included, there's another favorite of mine I, I want to pause to mention. Minsk, Beloved Ranger, still featuring his giant miniature space, space hamster, hamster, Boo. Now, uh, those who have played the original Baldur's Gate games... Uh, and Neverwinter Nights and things like that. But Baldur's Gate, uh, predating Neverwinter Nights, the first Baldur's Gate game, there was a ranger who had had a head injury uh, and was like still noble, brave, and you know good-hearted. Uh, but he was traveling with his constant companion, Boo, the giant miniature space hamster. <laughs> which was equipped in his uh, equipment slot, like in one of his storage slots, uh, he had Little Boo, and you could not take it from him. Uh, so, when he would enter battle, that particular character, like all the all the various members of the party, would be making their like custom familiar shouts as they charge into battle, like ah. Ah, well, Minsk the Ranger would yell, Go for the eyes, Boo! Go for the eyes! And the love of that character, <laughs> because it was one of the most outlandish things <laughs> at the time, has meant that here we are, 25 or, I, you know, I guess it's like maybe 20-something years later. Uh, what was that game? Like, 90, 90, Oh, goodness. 98? can't remember. Yeah, it was definitely a, a 90s, 90s game. No, so, no uh, offense taken at that. I, I'm guessing around 15 to 18 years ago, uh, Minsk's, Minsk Beloved Ranger is still being homaged in the Forgotten Realms uh, because of his place in players' hearts for that video game. So... <laughs> yeah, we just bought a uh, um, Funko Pop for uh, my wife's stepdad for Aww. his birthday, Minsk and Boo. Oh, no way. Yeah. See? Yeah, see what I'm saying here? Like, that's that's a beloved character. Uh, those who remember that early period of gaming uh, have not forgotten that. Like, go this for the eyes, Boo. Go for the eyes. <laughs> I never even played the game, but... Uh, <laughs> aware of it, of course, but just not... Just was not... Un- I, I, I was severely addicted to Quake at the time. Hey, and you can't be blamed for that, because let's remember that uh, circa that period of the end of the 90s, uh, a lot of this was still very shaky ground for quality video gaming. Uh, There were a lot of glitches, a lot of flaws, a lot of computers still having trouble processing that much. One day we'll we'll tell you young folks of the travails of old going to a LAN party and 
working for four hours to figure out why you can't connect to the router. Yeah, that's really why you like went ahead and ordered the pizza first. If you'd been to more than one of these events, you knew to get the food and drink set up while people were doing this because you were going to be there a while. Like this. Let me tell you the arcane travails of figuring out land line. <laughs> I shall talk to you of the ancient language. <laughs> Times of lore. But anyway, yeah, besides looking back, um, this is a great little uh, set and you know, for all the people who talk about how bad magic was or how it ruined the hobby or anything like that. Oh, no. We had a lot of good times, and for a while, yeah, our group kind of disappeared for a while, and we just played magic for a while. And uh, it wasn't until one of our members just finally said, you remember when we used to just play D&D? We're like, shut up, Dave. It's your <laughs> turn. I lost so much. Uh, and never lost my love of the game. Okay? No. I mean, although I was... Le- I did, I probably deserved some of that scorn because, you know, when a guy gets his butt handed to him enough times, he starts pulling like real jerk moves. Like, I play Winter Moon. Like, oh. I, just, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And the looks I got, I mean, good lord. Uh, if eyes shot daggers, I would have been a human pincushion overnight. But I, yeah, the the enchantment will leave when the players were eliminated from the game. So I guess there's yeah, all eyes somebody... were upon me. <laughs> uh, I knew I was going out anyway, so I, I was just like, I'm gonna just screw you. Mm. But the point being that here's a group of people that more or less exclusively played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and then at the window period of the arrival of Magic the Gathering, uh, shifted gears and played Magic the Gathering uh, completely separate from our pursuit of Dungeons and Dragons, and then resumed playing Dungeons and Dragons with, you know, no harm, no foul, still a love of both games. So I, I feel like I was granted a wonderful intro to both concepts, you know, where we never had this innate hostility that some people seem to have. The, the idea that there should be a competition or a division between gaming and CCGs. I never really thought that way. I only ever saw them as like, these are games. I love games. You know, I'm in. Dude, you had me at like Ocean's Nine. You know, I'm... <laughs> well, it's kind of like, I have always had a deep fascination with chess. I've never really competed or really wanted to. I just love to play chess. Yeah, you certainly stomped the crap out of me often enough. <laughs> the, the point is, you enjoy playing chess, and yes, some, you know, I and trust me, I've had my hind end handed to me on a silver platter. Oh, yeah. Several times where, you know, but what do you, I've been check on move five. How did that even happen? <laughs> Well, let me show you this little move right here. Oh, that's checkmate. Yeah. Okay, thanks. It's try nice playing those. Try, try playing those chess hustlers out in parks. Yeah, those guys, they know what they're doing. Yeah, they're not kidding. You know. Um. But that said. Oh yeah, I took it easy. I could have did this uh, two turns, two moves ago. Oh okay. Well yeah. So, but chess is a fascinating game, and it has a deep, rich history. And of course. Chess is as deeply encompassing, even if it is a limited playing format, 
in the personality and the styles and the strategies that have been exercised throughout the years, centuries. Yeah, uh, look, multicultural, you know, this is a, a game concept that has traveled the globe and gained and lost, like shed some it's concepts big, yep. and added others uh, with the contributions of, you know, literally everyone, you know, from Asia to Northern Europe, uh, you know, and, and all of Africa. It just, it and is. South America has given some great grandmasters to the game. Yeah. Uh, and styles of play and, you know, rules alterations have been made over the centuries that are have made this a world game. You know, so it is, if it you like chess, you you could uh, also like to play war games. And there, I don't, I've never seen like some people are like, well, if you play chess, you got to play chess because it's a serious game and it's a total commitment. It's a discipline. And you play everything play, else. Yeah. So you can, you don't have time to be just you know distracted by board games and other of these the trivial games. Yeah, nonsense to me. I don't agree with that at all. I think that. They're games, and you love to play games, right? So yeah, play a game. Be, you know, I, I love life. I. But I can also get that there's an intense discipline and love that puts you into the mindset of wanting to see you rise to the ultimate mastery of the game. And, you know, hey, that's just not me, though, because I just love to play. And even losing sometimes, it can be as infuriating as it is. You always learn, learn something, and there's always something new to do. And here, we're right back to... Magic the Gathering. Here's a new aspect, a new little quirk that they put in there with the dungeons and the artifacts, not artifacts, but the uh, sorcery cards that give you a choice, an encounter, if you will. <laughs> what do you do? Well, uh, I do this thing. And so you can kind of give a voice to that. And it, it's a clever mechanic. It doesn't really change the rules of the game, but it changes the way the game hits. And I think that's the big thing. Yeah, you know... Now you get the opportunity to uh, encounter classic familiar creatures that existed only inside the sphere of D&D, such as the Purple Worm, the Zorn, uh, the Rust Monster. Things like that have finally gotten their opportunity to be encountered uh, in the traditional fashion of gameplay. Uh, all inside and the I, style of a card game. And the best explanation for the flump I've ever heard. Yes. Um, well, so... Somebody put their time into this, and you know what? I got a hand, Wizards of the Coast, right, and the I, development team for this. A big round of applause. Wait, you said hand. Hand. Oh, no. It's happening again. That's right. You have failed your saving throw, and the inscrutable eldritch gaze of the arcane eye has once again settled upon you. What mysteries of eldritch lore has the arcane eye... Revealed this week. All right. Here in the, the misty and you know occluded realm of the arcane eye, uh, we turn our gaze upon Prise de Fer. Uh, now, the Kickstarter for Prise de Fer has ended. Well, no, it's still there. It's oh, no. uh, up, It ends August the 3rd, so there's oh, time okay. to get into this. Still time, okay. And it's brought to us by Green Cloak Creative, which are pretty much... A bunch of uh, folks devoted to storytelling, learning, and helping other people grow. And in that... Now, this is a card game of sword fighting. Uh, now, for those who are familiar with, uh, like, uh, oh, the essential principles of a duel in more of the Renaissance era, like, classic duelists sense, uh, the 
a parry and riposte. Uh, this is an expansion of that. This is a card game in which two players battle one another in a duel of swords, and the cards represent the various moves that you make. Uh, you know, the, the pace, the back and forth uh, of the battle. To me, it really caught my eye because this makes it a good educational tool, uh, especially to the novice dungeon master who doesn't know how to describe the play-by-play -play of a duel. Oh, you right, unless watch. you've been in fencing, which, yeah. I mean, I haven't. I mean, I've watched a few fencing, and they say some things, and I'm like, what the heck's that? And then whip out the, you know, pre-Google, we had to actually use a real book called the Dictionary. Yeah. What the heck it's is that? easy. You know, especially when the words had a foreign origin, uh, they might be included in the dictionary, but you might get the spelling wrong. So you were off on a little search. Now here's a game that takes these core concepts uh, that you, you know, might have heard in uh, an unabridged or unedited version of The Three Musketeers uh, by Alexander Dumas, or uh, you may have encountered them in, you know, like sword and sorcery novels here and there. But there's probably a few in this that, unless you are really familiar with fencing, that you've never heard before. So for the introductory or the novice, I think this is a game that has the dual pleasure of like, hey, I'm having a sword duel with my friend using cards, uh, you know, and the, the gameplay is reasonably short. You know, a couple of people are really only going like, to do a session, maybe a half hour tops, uh, you know, once you're adept at the usage of it. Uh, <laughs> you should be able to rattle off a game pretty quickly. Uh, but 18 separate cards. Uh, whoa. Uh, make this a reasonably small and also not wildly expensive opportunity for both swordplay learning and kickback with your friends. Right. And, in a couple of sessions. And if you're running a... Um, more Three Musketeers, Alexander Dumas type game like Flashing Blades are probably more appropriately these days, uh, 7C. This could be a great way to play out a, a very important duel and highlight a scene rather than just a few rolls of the dice. Now that's something that Randy brought up that I like the idea of, uh, you know, you already have confirmed that you're going to do a random resolution of a sword fight. If the setting is appropriate, like, for instance, a game of Seven, or seven Seas, or uh, in another high fantasy renaissance era duelist mode type game, uh, it would be highly appropriate to say, all right, we're going to forgo the dice, and we're going to play this out, you know, you against the villainous uh, in... Count Dumas yeah, of Duel Villanova. Of death. And, <laughs> yeah, and so <laughs> getting that... Le Get Grand Fromage. No, the not big the, cheese. Yeah, the fromage. Uh, <laughs> so yes, you can use this in various ways and make it work for a unique showdown that is memorable. And of course, uh, it's well-priced and it was funded in 12 hours. So obviously, you're yeah. not going to have a great big investment here, but you can get... Uh, the artwork is top-notch and of course, it's made by people who enjoy sword fighting. So you're going to be getting a lot for your money. But yeah. with that... The duration of the Arcane Eye now concludes. I abjure thee. I abjure thee. I abjure thee. What? What are you abjuring, man? I, oh, oh, you caught that last part, huh? No. What? You're a lucky man. Your, your memory of these things is so limited. Mm. I'm haunted by the memory of the forever after.
Oh, wow. <laughs> I think you should get that looked at. Well, anyway, uh, we didn't do an augury uh, this week. So uh, we'll, we'll conclude, wraps this up here with the uh, ending here as we go draw a close. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, but we do want to say that this magic uh, expansion is probably Adventures in the Forgotten Realm should be looked at by serious D&D enthusiasts. Even if you don't play competitively, you can whip this out and uh, it's not doesn't have a great deal of obtruse rules to learn. It's pretty much if you know how to play the standard magic, this one you'll be going right. Yeah, if you were already playing during the arrival of uh, the Throne of Eldraine set a couple of years ago, then these mechanics uh, and changes in mechanics are not going to really put you off. Yeah, and if you played like me from the standard uh, third to uh, I think sixth apocalypse yeah. um if you play during that time there's no there's no great surprises here so you have a lot of fun there's nothing there that uh will throw you a big curveball now for the very new player yeah obviously uh consult the internet you know the instructions and things that are available both in like large uh you know starter play packs and things yeah. like that will be of use to you uh but yeah yeah there are various just just grab a set uh get a deck going and just have fun I yeah, think you'll I like think... the the best way to play Magic. To be honest, is not to do, approach it as a strategy game, but just to play it as what it what the cards hand you. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. That uh, you know, sometimes limited deck play, like sealed deck yep. style, where just like you you break the stuff up at random. Uh, everybody's got their allotted amount to start with, and then they build quickly what mm-hmm. they can. Yep, time limit. They, they get in there, and then you're like, ding. Oh, but I wasn't ready yet. Well, yeah, you are now. Up, right. uh, I have done sealed deck leagues way back in the you know musty old <laughs> era of Ice Age, uh, and I loved it. Yeah, it was fun. I, it, you know what? Yeah, I was like, oh, I can't bring my cards that I've spent time collecting and working on. Uh, no, and I was like, wow, I really just had fun. Just this is back to the basics. Yeah, and match. I think this is one that you can just take and at space value as a limited set. But anyway, yeah. so uh, next week we're going to be doing. Mansions of Madness. Call of Cthulhu yes. uh, micro review. We're not going to go beat for beat. We're going to go uh, large look at it, each scenario, and talk about some things we're from gonna it. We're going to try to stay meta. Yeah, we're going to try to stay meta on that. There is, look, there's a lot of meat on those bones. Okay, that is. And that's only volume one. So, yeah. uh, Chaos Inn concluded its uh, Kickstarter for their first, very first printing of the Call of Cthulhu box set. They concluded with their, their two supplements. Almost six hundred thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! Five hundred ninety-one thousand. That is so amazing, I, and not surprising to me at all. Yeah, and bringing these books back, the first two—they're a very trusted outlet. Um, so we're also going to so- talk a little bit about that. So expect as fall uh, starts rearing here, we're going to have a lot of Call of Cthulhu stuff, and also coming up here, we're going to be doing Troll Pack. Oh yeah, we'll be saving a little for Halloween. Yeah, and I think that uh, we're going to do a. Uh, the plan is, if time provides, we're actually going to sit down and run uh, Mike and some friends through uh, The Haunting. And uh, yeah. then we're going to do a preview of what he thought. Because I don't think you've ever played or run it, have you? Uh, not The Haunting. I've never run Call of Cthulhu. Oh, okay. So I have been a character run through Call of Cthulhu many, many Excellent. times under multiple DMs. Uh, and I've enjoyed it every single time. It's also the source of singular pride. It's uh, one of the few times I actually won a like you know uh, best RPer award 
at a convention was in a Call of Cthulhu game where I was supposed to be. Isn't Elder. that like one of the big things is like about Call of Cthulhu is like I played uh, a private investigator and like I had I adopted the accent and was reaching for the hip flask and doing all this stuff. I stole your fedora. Doing the old Sam. Yeah, Sam Spade. You can't go wrong with that. People are like, wow, that was really great, man. You know, it's like, wow, Call of Cthulhu. You know, the only thing you can do is just live in the moment because you know you're going to die. So, Yeah, and I got to play an elderly British hunter, you know, which had the excuse to, like, have an elephant gun. <laughs> which, boy, oh, boy, mighty handy for those. Like, we need to retreat and slow it down a little because, yeah, it's Call of Cthulhu monsters. You ain't going to kill it. But you can make it pause for a moment with a big enough boom. Uh, oh, yeah, you just piss them off. Yeah, yeah, I, I bought some time. Uh, but I died heroically. And Agent Tallwood will remember you forever. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it immensely. I, I hope you'll be with us for that. Right, next. so we're going to be doing some Call of Cthulhu. We're also going to be getting into uh, some more Chaosium stuff with uh, Pegasus Plateau and the sm- Tales from the Smoking Ruins. Yeah. Looking into some... Uh, uh, sword and sorcery so we're keeping it vague because yeah. but the next one we'll definitely be doing madness and madness so tune in for that if this wasn't uh sort of up to your speed well we hope you enjoyed listening to us reminisce about crazy stuff and as <laughs> always uh you can let us know what you think on our facebook page the dice is streaming you can keep that up and running for you folks Just comment and uh, enjoy as well as see our new episodes and speaking of new episodes if you haven't hit that favorite button well Shame on you, you should, because that favorite button has been through a lot of hard times lately. And yeah, we put the favorite button on our on our podcast too a lot, but uh, you know, it, it needs a little bit of love. So hit the favorite button so you can get notifications when you've got any crap and you should download it if, when we do a new episode. So make sure you do that. But, and that'll wrap it up for us. And until next time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.